The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and our focus today is on living well, something I know we all want to do a better job on. If you think about it, in the midst of all the challenges that are not going to go away, like the demands of 24-7 work, never-ending emails, managers and staff that expect instantaneous responses, increased responsibility, people doing sometimes three and four jobs, colleagues and senior leaders who drive us nuts for one reason or another, a lack of resources, a lack of time to think, and the chaos that just comes with change, there's plenty of reasons why we're struggling to live well. Now, all of this is well known to everyone in business today. The focus is, so what can we do to make these demanding lives more manageable? How can we enjoy the positives that come from the jobs and the large companies that we work in and the demanding jobs without driving ourselves nuts. So with me today is Flip Brown. Flip is an executive coach, does management consulting and team facilitation. He's been quoted in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, NPR's All Things Considered. He runs a boatload of workshops at various retreat centers. He's an ambassador for the Social Venture Network, which is a national organization of progressive businesses dedicated to being a force for good in society. And his book tells the title for everything, Balanced Effectiveness at Work, How to Enjoy the Fruits of Your Labor Without Driving Yourself Nuts. So, Flip, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. I'm delighted to be here today. I'm glad to have you. All right, now, when... As we've talked, you have a phrase that I keep quoting for everybody. It's fabulous. You say that work-life balance is dead, but we have to live well anyway. So what do you mean work-life balance is dead? Well, thank you. I'm on a mission to kind of change or eliminate that phrase because built into it is the assumption that work and life are actually two separate things that somehow we're putting on either end of a teeter-totter, and that just doesn't work too well. I believe that our life should be in our work, not separate. We want to bring our creative energies and, you know, our our thoughts and feelings and who we are into our work. But work should be separate from life. We should be able to set some limits and boundaries to live a rich, full life and have uh, meaningful engagements in existence without the pressure of work bearing down on us 24-7. Okay, so is that what you mean by living well, is that we 
don't feel that work is completely consuming every ounce of energy we have at all moments in time. Yeah, because I think one of the modern uh, viruses, um, particularly those who have leadership or management positions, is that somehow we've gotten confused in terms of what we do is who we are. And there's a, there's a core self that, you know, I ask people sometimes in one of my workshops, uh, if you truly were on a desert island, and, and sorry, you can't even bring your 10 favorite, uh, you know, CDs, if it's just you there and no work identification, who are you? And oftentimes that's a challenging uh, mm-hmm. question for people to answer. So if we lose connection with our core self, uh, then we get swept along by all the pressures of work. So why do you think we've lost? I mean, so I think this is an interesting comment because the people that I coach, particularly when there's a moment of crisis and it's not clear that they're going to stay with a company that they've been at for 15, 20, 25 years Mm -hmm. for a host of reasons, there's a crisis of identity at that moment Mm -hmm. because the identity is wrapped up in being a part of that organizational or in that particular role. Why do you think that has become such a common phenomenon? Well, I think that there's a number of reasons. Certainly, there is the financial need to produce uh, income and to take care of our, our families and our, and our futures. But hopefully, the, that's done uh, along the means that uh, in the Buddhist tradition, it's called right livelihood. Um, you're not working just for money. You're working to be of service to the world, and you should get reasonable compensation for that. But I also think that... Um, in our careers, we get a chance to develop ourselves uh, psychologically, emotionally, hopefully maybe even a little bit spiritually. Um, and so there is that powerful vehicle of our professions uh, to carry us forward through our lives and to contribute to our growth. But we can't confuse the car with the path. Okay. All right, so if you're giving your formula for living well, how do we do it? Well, What's think, involved? Yeah, I think that, that part of it is to cultivate what I would call the art of healthy detachment. And I'm always amazed. I've, I've been able to work with some folks who work in, let's say, emergency medical technicians or in the emergency room of a hospital. And quite frankly, whatever comes their way, those people just don't freak out. They have to deal with the full range of of human trauma and just be of service. Because if they allow their emotions and their identities to get in the way, uh, they can't be of service. Now, sometimes people don't do that as well, but that's, that's just one example. So to me, the question is, is there meaning and fulfillment more often than not as you go through the day are you able to have relationships that serve you as opposed to drain you? And are you able to have a good relationship with yourself as you go through the workday? So those are the three components, having meaningfulness, meaningful and fulfill, meaningfulness and fulfillment. I'll get it in a moment. More often than not, having relationships that serve you versus drain you and having a good relationship with yourself. Yeah, I, I, I could probably add a little bit to that list, but I think that those are, for me, some of the core components. Okay. All right, so I'm intrigued by this notion. Um, I, in fact, I was coaching someone this week as well who was saying that a difficult conversation that didn't go the way he wanted it to go would keep him up at night 
into the next day and completely consume his week. So this notion of cultivating healthy detachment. Any advice on how to do that? Well, I think we have to view it as a practice. Um, Probably many of our listeners right now have at some point uh, gone to a yoga class. Um, And it doesn't work well if you're constantly self-criticizing yourself or the instructor during a yoga class. You have to sort of go with the flow. You have to give up that sense of judgment. So one of the things that that I experience in working with a lot of folks uh, who set high standards for themselves is that, and that's good in a way, but then... Uh, they're particularly judgmental or harsh about themselves and about what other people may think of them. So that's what keeps them up at night. Uh, when we do the best we can do, that's really all that we can do. And uh, if we can be okay with that, then that's being unattached to the outcome. Okay. That makes sense. That does make sense. I think in, it sounds great. Do you have any practical tips for how to get there? Well, I think that you can't really do this alone. You have to find peers, uh, mentors, coaches, communities where people can speak in these terms. And I think one of the key ingredients there, which is increasing in the business world, I would imagine you've seen this, it's what we call or what I call appropriate professional vulnerability. Because the old model, and this kind of was uh, sometimes had a, a gender twist to it for us guys who... Are you kidding me, being vulnerable? But this idea that I'm open to feedback, I'm open to information that may initially be difficult for me to hear, but it's in support of of who I am and my growth. And I want to have relationships with people who will be open, honest, and authentic with me. Okay. All right. So it's a matter of finding then people who are going to help you along in this journey. And I presume by that you mean people who are detached because they're not emotionally entangled in the situation and can help you step back and recognize when you're being too self-critical or being too wrapped up in it. Is that what you mean? Yeah, because in a toxic workplace culture, it's all about power and position. It's all about uh, gossip and rumor and innuendo. You know, I'm better than or this person is is the problem, the, the reflexive fault and blame. Um, it's hard to get this sense of healthy detachment. It's hard to learn and grow in those kinds of cultures. Um, but if you're stuck there for now, then I think you can find folks who will both support and challenge you in a compassionate way. Okay. All right. I often talk to my clients about when they're dealing with a particular toxic individual about um, creating literally a glass bubble around themselves so that whatever is happening in that particular exchange probably has relatively little to do with the, with the, the recipient. Mm-hmm. It has a lot more to do with the individual and whatever's going on in that individual's day or week or whatever. And if you imagine this glass bubble as a protector, so you just watch stuff come in at you and then can let it fall away. It's a metaphor I use with people but it's another version of that kind of healthy detachment. Is mm-hmm. that what you mean as well? Yeah, and I think that to extend your metaphor, um, the glass is not uh, impenetrable, and uh, we don't use it um, to completely cut ourselves off. I think that's the difficult thing is can we have empathy and compassion for someone who's making us miserable because 
quite frankly, what's happening is they're projecting their frustration and misery onto us in hopes that we'll take it and hold it and share it with them. Okay. All right. So we have this notion that we need to cultivate healthy detachment. You've said that it's a practice and that it's something you can't do alone and that you need to find people around you who will help you work through that, who will give you feedback and be open vulnerable to that feedback. You've said also that we need to have a meaningful and fulfillment, meaningfulness and fulfillment more often than not. And I'm presuming that that is a matter of focusing on what is meaningful and fulfillment as opposed to focusing on the negative. Yeah, because I think that um, hopefully every, <clears throat> excuse me, every job, every profession, um, we can see the, the service element of that. Now, I recognize that there are professions where um, power or greed may be the driving factor, but I don't think that's the folks that we're talking to today. So what is the service that you're providing, and how can you get out of your own way and, and also not be distracted by folks who are at various points on their journey of, of growth and health so that you can uh, be of service and have some meaning and film fulfillment from that aspect of it. So then your notion is people find meaningfulness and fulfillment by looking at the service that they're providing on the world, the service they're providing to other people, the ways in which they're enabling something to happen. Is that what you mean? Is that what you think provides meaningfulness? Yeah, because I think that it's easy to look at, at other professions. I'm always amazed at, at folks who do the jobs that I either uh, couldn't do or, quite, quite frankly, wouldn't want to do. Um, I met a young man who opened a crematorium because he thought it was uh, really uh, uh, unfair that families had to spend so much on traditional funeral services. And he really lowered the cost. This was kind of a, he, he kind of built it himself. He got the right permits and the right education. And I thought, wow, what an amazing way to be of service. I myself would not want to be in that business. Um, so I think that if we lose sight of how we're being in service, we get caught up in the politics and the negativity. So that's one place where I think we can return to center. Okay. All right. So not lose sight of the service that you're providing. Even if it feels mundane to you, it's of service to somebody or they're not spending money for it. Right. Okay. So healthy detachment, finding meaningfulness and fulfillment more often than not, which is focusing on the service that you're providing and uh, focusing on the positives, the upsides of that one. And then you said have relationships that serve you versus drain you. Mm-hmm. How do we do that, particularly when there are a bunch of toxic people around us? Well, I think that uh, at some point uh, it, it may require the courage to say, I think I've grown myself out of this culture, and I need to find a group of people Maybe it involves a little pay cut. Maybe it involves uh, a time of transition where people do focus on treating the customers, internal and external, each other, teammates, uh, with, with care and, and compassion. Um, those cultures do exist. Um, now, you can't magically just transport yourself from one to the other. So... And even in uh, the really so-called great cultures, there are still going to be challenges. Uh, Part of that is our responsibility to say, wow, this person really pushes my buttons. I can't change them. 
I might be able to have more effective uh, conversations with them over time, but how can I look at what that button means to me? How can I potentially rewire that button? Because if someone is really uh, getting to us, but they're not getting to other people in exactly the same way, there's some information for us there. This is probably activating some old unresolved stuff or uh, a historical pattern that that becomes an invitation for us to look at and work through. I certainly see that all the time, um, that a particular set of behaviors, maybe not the greatest set of behaviors, gets underneath people's skin. And they get so engaged in making that other individual change that they become toxic almost themselves in that effort and can't see how much it's their own contribution. That's a whole story in and of itself, I suppose, we could talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite leadership and management role models is Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. Because okay. it, no matter what happens um, with the bad guys, he never gets pulled off center. He's always okay. focused, um, and it's not about uh, fault or blame. It's not about reactivity. It's just about what is the principle in the moment. Great. An interesting one. Okay. All right. I'm going to do one more story from me that's from this week. You can tell mm-hmm. I've had an interesting week. Um, yeah. I was talking to a guy that I've been working with for a while to help him develop his compassion and caring and kind of more tender side with people that he's been interacting with. And one of the comments that he comes back is, you know, now that I've been working on this, I've started noticing that a number of the senior people around me aren't very good at it. And I'm kind of disappointed. I didn't notice before, but now I've started noticing. And it leads him to the place of, you know, is this the place I want to be for long term or not? An interesting question. But equally, I could say to him, then fine, start noticing the people who do care. Because there are plenty of them around in your business. They may not be the people you see day to day, but you just got to go find those positive sources out there so you have a sense of balance. Mm-hmm. Right, and and I think that what we often miss when we're all kind of knotted up in those situations is that if we can model the behavior for others that we want to experience for ourselves, that's, first of all, a, a gift to the system, but it also is one of the things that we actually can do that maybe over time will create some shifts. Uh, yeah. We can hope. I certainly believe that's the case. Okay, we're going to take a break here. I've been talking with Flip Brown. The book is Balanced Effectiveness at Work, How to Enjoy the Fruits of Your Labor Without Driving Yourself Nuts. You can reach Flip at www.balancedeffectiveness.com or on Twitter at FlipBrownVT. We've been talking about what it means to live well in a world where work-life balance is largely dead. And the key components here are cultivating an art of healthy detachment, finding meaningfulness and fulfillment in the service that you're doing more often than not, finding relationships that serve you and drain you, and having a healthy relationship with yourself. A number of tips and advice. Now, when we come back... I want to talk about supportive confrontation because part of the challenge is the people that you end up with working with where there's tension and how do we deal with that. We'll be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Flip Brown. Flip is an executive coach, a management consultant, and a team facilitator. He's an ambassador for the Social Venture Network, a national organization of progressive businesses dedicated to being a force for good in society. And Flip's book, Balanced Effectiveness at Work, How to Enjoy the Fruits of Your Labor Without Driving Yourself Nuts. We've been talking about living well, and Flip says work-life balance is dead, meaning we need to integrate work into our lives and we need to live well. And we've been talking about what it means to live well and what you need to do to be living more well, I guess, if that's a phrase. I want to shift now and focus about a particular source of stress. I often find that a lot of the stress comes from difficult relationships, a peer, a boss, a direct report. And it seems to me that lots of my clients are now focused on really improving performance, which means typically that we're focused on giving more constructive feedback. However, often that feedback is something I need to give to a manager or a peer and sometimes a customer. That ability to confront the other person about something that just isn't working terribly well for me, and I find it something people are awfully uncomfortable with. I often say to people, if that person did not drive you so nuts, you wouldn't be so stressed out and wouldn't life be better? 
All right, so Flip talks about this as a process of supportive confrontation. So Flip, tell me what you mean by supportive confrontation, and more importantly, how do we do it? Sure. Well, I think for most of us, when we hear this term confrontation, we kind of get this felt sense in our bodies of, ooh, I don't want to do that. Um, You know, that's going to have some negative components to it. But if you look in the dictionary, one of the definitions of to confront is to provide someone with information. I could confront you with the fact that you just won the Powerball lottery and you would probably not be upset with me. So I think we have to reclaim that confrontation can actually have a positive uh, element to it, and that's why I put the term supportive confrontation. Because one of the questions I like to ask leaders, managers, uh, executives is, if you were doing something that was in your blind spot, was inadvertently creating a negative impact on your team or your results, would you want to know what that is? Well, everyone will say yes. But then it's the skill of how to bring that information forward when you have a sense that it's probably not going to be initially welcomed or received. Um, And so I will uh, direct our listeners, there's a full exposition of this at the changethis.com website, uh, the January issue number 137, uh, a 2,500-word manifesto on the art of supportive confrontation and the essential element in creative conflict. But to boil it down to some key components, the idea is that we need to be able to separate our feelings conversation from our business conversation. Because when we mush those together and we come out being all frustrated, then the receiver doesn't know if they should deal with uh, how we're feeling or what the business component is. And before we do that, we need to check in to see our own emotional state in the moment. You know, it's kind of like I've had to train myself. If I'm frustrated or angry and I'm typing an email and my fingers are banging the keyboard, well, hang on, you know. There's something going on here, and let me tune in with that first. Um, So what is the core value or the core principle at hand? We need to be able to see if we can figure that out because that's the conversation we really need to have. A couple more points. We need to uh, give up on our need to be right or to be validated in this conversation. And we need to practice active listening, which when we're under stress is usually one of the first things to go out the window. So those are some of the key elements. Right. So why do we, why is it so important to give up on the need to be right and or to be validated? Because that will set us up for if the other person doesn't respond in the way that we need them to, it all goes downhill from there. And typically what happens is, you know, we get the courage, we frame our conversation. Our conversation is usually a, a list of bullet points in terms of the logical, uh, rational reasons why we are in fact correct. And when the other person doesn't see that, accept that, buy into it, we simply restate those bullet points, and usually with a little more edge in our voice. Um, so if we're curious as opposed to judgmental, we can open up possibilities that won't otherwise exist. Okay. So that's why the active listening is such a big deal, is that I'm going to state what it is that I wanted to come to state to you, but then I'm open to hearing your point of view, your perspective, how you're seeing it. And if I'm not open, then I'm in trouble. Is that the 
Right, because our filters can be so strong that, uh, and we're spending a lot of our internal energy thinking about what we're going to say next that we literally don't hear and therefore we can't capture what the other person is saying to us, but that's exactly what we want from them. We want them to accurately uh, and carefully listen to what we have to say. So again, if we, if we want to receive it, we have to be able to give it. Okay. All right. So I like that. If you want to receive it, you have to give it. All right. I want to go back to this notion about giving up the need to be right or to be validated, to be affirmed that I was right. I am stunned at how many times I come, I guess I shouldn't be stunned, but I come across this so often. People will come back and say, but Wanda, I'm right. I know I'm right. I'm really right in this situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Any advice on how to get, I, I see why it's an issue, but how do I learn to give up that need to be right? Well, I think that there's usually a deeper level of what that means to us in those situations. Because I think being bright, uh, to me, it's a pretty short path to that means I'm okay. And I think this is a, a, a core issue in our business culture, maybe in our Western culture, that somehow, someday, we will be good. We will be good enough. We will be right. Um, we will be seen, heard, uh, accepted for who we truly are. And um, that can just, again, set us up for lots of disappointment and frustration. Um, I believe that every human being has a fundamental basic goodness that we forget about or gets obscured Um, And that's why having some sort of mindfulness or meditation practice returns us to that center, to that unconditional sense of of well-being uh, and, you know, caring and support for ourselves. Because otherwise, in the workplace, it's conditional. If you give me positive feedback, I feel good about myself. If you give me negative feedback, I feel bad about myself. And then if I feel bad about myself, I'm going to feel bad about you. And that's a dangerous trap to fall into time after time. Okay. All right. So it's a matter of rebalancing, reconnecting to ourselves, a mindfulness practice that helps us do that. I would agree that that's one way of going about it. And so that you're not so tied to that need for approval, validation, confirmation, acceptance in the workplace, because the workplace is conditional. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, lots of people say we have to do active listening. And we run training programs and try to teach people how to do active listening, and they go right back to not doing it again. Any Mm -hmm. advice for being more effective in the moment in actively listening to what's being said and sort of what's underneath the surface only sort of being said? Well, I think that the key element uh, to active listening that – we either minimize or forget when we're having a a lovely intellectual discussion about it, is what happens when we get triggered? How do we recognize, as it is happening in the moment, that we are entering a strong, usually negative emotional state? Because if we don't recognize when that's happening and how that's happening, the active listening goes out the window. Um, and, And so the ability to self-monitor and to, to some extent, train ourselves that, wow, this is what my reactivity looks like. This is what it feels like. And when it happens, I may need to say, excuse me, can I have a moment? 
and just sit quietly and recognize this old pattern wants to grab the steering wheel here, and there are alternatives to that. Otherwise, we just get swept along. Okay. Um, Can you give us an example about what what happens when somebody gets triggered? Well, there's uh, a, you know, one common way to describe that is the old uh, fight or flight. Um, I have to either defend myself because I'm feeling psychologically unsafe or attacked or diminished, um, or I, I can't win this fight, so I must flee. And sometimes in the workplace, you know, it's not okay to just get up and run out of the building. So we shut down and we practice uh, profound avoidance. Um, and that doesn't serve us or uh, the relationship or the organization well. So it, it takes understanding when we get triggered if we fall back into the old, I need to be right or I'm wrong, you know, that's a win-lose paradigm as opposed to, wow, there's something going on here that's asking for my attention. Um, and you know, I think there's a parallel in parenting. Um, two-year-olds and, and adolescents, it's part of their job description to see if they can find your buttons and push them. Um, and your ability to manage that emotional reactivity is is very important in terms of how you move through those interactions. I love that. Their job is to push our buttons. I think that's absolutely true. Anybody who's ever worked with a two-year-old or a four-year-old, completely true. Okay, so triggered. Um, I just want to make sure everybody understands what we mean by triggered because it's a fairly psychological concept. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when uh, – give me an example of a kind of thing someone might get triggered by. Well, I'll share an example from my own experience. Um, I was many years ago at my last job, I was listening to the HR person tell us how wonderful it was going to be as they were cutting our benefits. Um, And I basically stood up and almost was yelling at this person. And a good friend of mine afterwards says, wow, man, what happened to you? You usually can, you know, stay engaged in the conversation. And what I realized was this was the trigger for me was an old family issue that people were saying everything's fine, and my experience is, no, actually it's not fine, but when I would uh, speak up, I wouldn't be heard or I would be shut down. So to me, the triggering is there's an emotional response that is not calibrated to the current situation at hand. Because, you know, this is only business. This is not... um, you know, we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, deal with a, a hurricane or something. Okay. All right. So it's that fight or flight thing that has gotten triggered in us in one form or another, which is chemical and well ingrained, and it's also often tied to emotional experiences from the past. Yep. Then that emotion comes forward, and we react from that emotion. Okay, fair enough. Now, you is there a good time to confront? And I'm going to come back to this notion of supportive confrontation. Is there a good time to confront, and is there a bad time to confront? Well, it's quite uh, paradoxical because the best time to confront is when things are feeling good. Um, if we wait until they're feeling bad, uh, and you know, we kind of we can test this out in our marriages. Um, you know, honey, it's great to go for a walk. There is a difficult subject I need to bring up. Most of us go, man, why, why ruin the mood, you know? 
But um, if we wait until the stress builds to the point where we have no choice but to bring up a difficult topic, then everybody's already preloaded with, with tension. Um, and it, it's much uh, more likely that you're going to go off the rails. So the idea is to invite someone to understand your experience as opposed to telling them uh, what they're doing wrong or what needs to be fixed. Okay, I love that. Invite to understand your experience. Give me an example of what that sounds like. Well, one of the most unhelpful phrases in the English language is, you need to, and then fill in the blank, as opposed to, I hope you can understand that by coming in here and um, initiating a conversation about the fact that it's been nine months since we've had any discussion about my performance, that's a real risk for me to take. And I, I hope you can understand that this is hard for me to do, but I do need to have this conversation with you. Okay. So I started with, in some ways, my own experience, and I'm asking you as a recipient to understand my experience. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People Seek First to Understand. Is it the same? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he certainly has his, his own uh, methodology, but I think that, again, this goes back to, if I'm going to initiate that conversation, I it works best if I come from the place of being fundamentally okay already. Because otherwise, if I need something from that other person to be okay, uh, they're going to sense that, uh, they're going to sense my anxiety about that, and it's much less likely that we're going to get a good outcome. Uh, I think another fact is that we kind of uh, perseverate about this. We think about it. Oh, should I do this? I think I can do this. Here's how I'm going to do it. We go in, we don't get the response that we want. We go, oh, that's it. I'll never try that again. As opposed to, it may take multiple conversations to start to shift the pattern. Okay. And each of those, I presume, is with some caring and empathy and, again, an invitation to understand, an invitation to understand in this situation, an invitation to understand in a different situation. Yeah, because um, typically when we're feeling that negative energy, we sort of can't help ourselves but make a uh, lengthy list of what the other person needs to do to change so we'll feel better. And that leads to one of my all-time favorite book titles, which I wish I would have written, but the book title is We'd Have a Great Relationship If It Weren't For You. (laughs) That's great. If you would be a different person, we'd have a great relationship. (laughs) That's great. Exactly. And, you know, we get stuck in that place, but the other person is not going to say, oh, thank you, you're right, I... I really need to make some major changes here. I appreciate this. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's a lovely way of thinking about you're in the wrong space to have a supportive confrontation when what you find yourself doing is a long bullet list of what the other person should change. Yeah, exactly. That's All not right. going to get anywhere. In fact, it's probably going to make things worse because, again, if we go back to the concept of model the behavior you, you want to experience, you've just given them permission to find fault with you. Okay. All right, so instead, presumably what I should do if I find myself making that bullet list is to pull back and start to say, what is it that I am feeling in this moment? What is it that I think I'm needing in this moment? What's the principle here at hand that we need to discuss? Yeah, and to the extent that there's some conflict, what might be my contribution to this? Have there been times when I've been a little edgy or surly? Have there been times when I've kind of badmouth this person. There have been times when I haven't uh, 
taken an opportunity to give feedback because I was afraid of the outcome. Um, because if we look at our contribution, again, it's more likely that the other person may join us in that space as opposed to the ping-pong match of fault and blame. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We're going to take a break again. Flip, there's an awful lot in this one. Let me see if I can try to capture this. The notion is to have a supportive confrontation where confrontation is not a negative thing. It's actually a positive thing, as in to provide information. To do that, I need to separate my feelings from the business conversation that we're having, and I need to understand my own emotional state my triggers, my reactions, my needs, and do a good bit of self-reflection before I start this conversation. Train myself to tune into that and then to look at the core principle and value that's at hand. And I do that in a way by inviting the other person to understand the experience I'm having versus telling them what they should be doing or how they should be doing or a long list of what's wrong with them. Now, that's a very simple summary, but I hope it's a reasonable capture of the key points of this one. When we come back, I want to talk about um, Flip's tips for dealing with stress There are a few lovely tidbits in that one. So come back and join us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, 
Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Flip Brown. Flip is an executive coach, a management consultant, and a team facilitator. The title of his book is Balanced Effectiveness at Work, How to Enjoy the Fruits of Your Labor Without Driving Yourself Nuts. You can find him on his website at www.balancedeffectiveness.com or on Twitter at at FlipBrownVT. Now, we've been talking about work-life balance, stress, living well, and the basic principle is, in spite of all the stress that's around us, we need to live well, and we have a little bit of a formula for what it means to live well. One of the elements of that is the ability to deal with confrontation in a supportive manner, in a manner that is not looking for my own validation and being right, but in a manner that is inviting understanding. And we've been talking about the things that you have to do in order to engage in supportive conversation. Now, what a confrontation. What I want to do now is to talk about stress in general. So the first thing, Flip, there's been some interesting research in the last couple of years around good stress and around bad stress. So is all stress good or bad? Well, there is a sort of technical term of distress and eustress, E-U. S-T-R-E-S-S. Use stress we don't normally use, and we don't normally think of positive stress. But if you have no positive stress and no negative stress, we call that boredom, or maybe not breathing. But um, the positive stress, uh, you know, as a musician, when I'm getting ready for a gig, um, I have to make sure I have all the equipment. You know, are the other guys going to show up? Uh, Do we have the song list? Are we going to start the songs in the right tempo and the right key? You know, there's a lot of stress, but it's, it's not something that I'm freaking out about. It's just this is what needs to happen to show up and play music and have a wonderful experience. So I think that we tend to miss on the positive stress. When we get an exciting project at work and we dig into it and we deliver it well and our coworkers, colleagues, clients are happy, you know, let's, let's acknowledge that. We moved through that in, in a lovely way. So um, that's an important sort of counterbalance. And then in terms of the negative stress, I think it's, again, important to distinguish between external negative stress and internal negative stress. Okay. All right. So tell me how you classify those and what's the, why does it make a difference? Well, the external stress are events that are impacting our sense of well-being, satisfaction, whatever. And I heard somebody once say that uh, they had a 10-point scale of of what to worry about. You know, 10 on their list was all the countries in the world start shooting their nuclear weapons at each other, and the entire planet is cooked, and we're all all, uh, done for. And he worked his way down that list, and he said, you know, most of the things at work are twos and threes, but we make them sevens or eights. So can we take the long view? Can we see this as something that uh, at work is important, but it is not, again, sort of striking at the core of our being and our, and our happiness? But the internal stuff, I think we have a lot more opportunity to 
look at and change and sustain. And I'll, I'll give you a, a couple uh, examples here. Many folks I know, as they commute into work in the morning, they're creating a, a mental sticky note in their head of the three to five urgent things that they really need to get done today. And then they travel home at the end of the day going, darn it, not only did I not get those done, I added two or three to the list. So we create these expectations for ourselves, and what happens when we get to work is almost inevitably there is some unexpected, and we don't allow space for the unexpected. So when the unexpected happens, there's both uh, potentially some discomfort, but there's always opportunity in that. Can, can we frame, reframe how we view that? Uh, so that's one tip. Great. Um, it's interesting. One of the senior executives that I admire says that he comes in not with two or three because you're never going to get two or three done. He comes in with, here's the one thing I want to accomplish today. I want to move forward today, not mm-hmm. accomplish. Move forward. And I'm going to do it first thing. Yep, yep. Which is an interesting strategy. But I love your notion that it is the unexpected and we have no space to deal with it and it drives us nuts. Absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. Yep, yep. Okay, so another um, uh, concept that I love playing with is that when I grew up in my father's grocery store where I learned about customer service and work ethic, we, in the morning between about 9.30 and noon, then again the afternoon, we took breaks. We actually got paid to not work for 10 or 15 minutes with the idea that we would be more productive. And we've completely lost that concept in our 24-7 culture. So I'm a huge proponent of... You know, step away from your workstation, uh, you know, walk around, um, do something different, uh, disconnect from the screen um, or the tools, and just give yourself a break. Um, And then a uh, corresponding component to that is can you set aside one hour, just one hour every day where it is focus time? You're not looking at emails. You're not taking phone calls. You carve out this hour to really focus. I've also seen teams do that, where from 10 to 11, we're going to hunker down. We're going to focus on moving some things forward. Because otherwise, it's potentially continuous interruption. Right. There's certainly been a lot written on that one lately about the need to focus, and I think the people who are the most effective leaders are really good at identifying that time for themselves, and they're really good at shutting down the distractions. Right, It's right. a conscious choice to stop the distractions. Yeah, we now have you a know, term uh, that's growing in usage called the digital detox, where take... 24, 48, I do seven days every year of no voicemail, email, uh, national world news, just live with the rhythms of the day and with nature. And it's amazing how deeply replenishing that can be. Wow, that's an interesting idea. I can imagine a number of my clients going, I couldn't, I can't, there's no way my life would end, the world would fall apart, the company would fall at the end. I often say to people, yeah, go ahead. Well, if you were alive 30 years ago, that was life. Yeah. Less than that, we forget how, how soon, a, a short time ago, the iPhone was actually created. It was 2007, only right. 10 years ago. We lived before that without it. 
Um, I often say to my clients that if the company is going to fall apart while you shut your phone off for an hour, you have actually a bigger problem than <laughs> True. email. So. True indeed. Anyway, but we do forget that one. We do forget that one. I want to go back to a point that you made. I love this notion of a 10-point scale of the impact of external events and the stress that it would create. We see this in practice when someone has cancer, for example. Mm-hmm. I just had an event this week with a colleague that I work with in a company, just had a horrendous diagnosis of a very rare form of cancer. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, she's going to survive it, but it certainly puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this notion that we could choose to put things in a better perspective if we focused on it. Yep, yep. Yeah, because um, that's the... Uh, uh, Benjamin and Roz Zander, in their um, kind of famous book, The Art of Possibilities, they said, you make, make sure that uh, you honor rule number six. And rule number six is don't take yourself so darn seriously. What are the other rules? Well, there aren't any. So, you know, we have to stay lighthearted. We have to um, see this as a part of the dance of life, but not the uh, everyday judgment of how good we are, or how much we've accomplished. Um, and, you know, we, we get uh, so invested and involved in the workplace that we, we lose that perspective. Um, and then another danger is what I call the myth of someday. You know, someday I'll exercise. Someday I'll spend more time with my kids. Someday I'll get organized. You know, you, we only have right now. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's an interesting call to action in and of itself. Okay, so Flip, you say that um, there is positive stress and negative stress. And when we feel that we've succeeded and done something well, it doesn't feel so stressful. We actually enjoy it. It's energizing. We say that there's external stress and internal stress and that there's a lot of opportunity to look at the sources of internal stress um, and take control of that. And pay attention to that. And part of what we do in that one is to set aside an hour for focus time. And another really critical part of that is to take a break. We're talking about a 10 to 15 minute break that actually increases effectiveness and efficiency. Any other tips for how we manage the internal stress? Well, there's actually neurological research that shows that when people go out in nature, it actually has a positive effect on their brain waves. Um, and we forget about that. Um, we came out of this natural environment, and it's important that we not lose our connection to it. And along with that, uh, certainly as Americans, we're about the worst in taking actual real vacations. Um, other parts of the world understand that you actually can take multiple weeks, uh, more than two a year, and your business and your economy will survive. And vacation does not mean simply moving your office uh, to the Caribbean for a week. So um, those are a couple other things. And um, make sure that you look for fun, because without fun, uh, life's pretty, pretty boring. I love that. Look for fun. Well, there's a lot in this one. Flip, I think, um, thank you for being with us today. This has been fabulous. Again, for people, the book is called Balanced Effectiveness at Work, How to Enjoy the Fruits of Your Labor Without Driving Yourself Nuts. The website is balancedeffectiveness.com, and Flip's Twitter is at FlipBrownVT. 
I think the highlight for me, I still love your phrase that we started with at the beginning, work-life balance is dead, but we have to live well anyway. And part of living well is finding meaningfulness in our life more often than not in our work life. It's part of integrating our work into our life. It's part of not getting our identity so wrapped up that we desperately need approval and to be right from everybody, um, but that we can do our own affirmations and feel good about ourselves in our own rights or relationship with ourselves, if you will. And another part of living well is this ability to deal with supportive confrontation. So to have the conversations that need to have in a way that is productive. There's a lot to take away from it. Flip, thank you very much for the day. Well, thank you very much, Juan. I've really enjoyed this conversation. All right, fabulous. Now, we're going to continue this theme with Patty Johnson next week, where we're going to talk about how do you deal with uncertainty and chaos. Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.